Episode 164, Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast. Today, we get the real truth on what it's like breaking into the Bassmaster Elite Series as a rookie. Wisconsin rookie Kyle Norsetter joins the show and gives us the inside scoop. This week, the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle, Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. Everybody wants to think they want to be a pro bass fisherman, want to be on the Bassmaster Elite Series, but do they know what it really takes and what it's really like to be a rookie or get started on the Bassmaster Elite Series? Well, tonight, Hello Bass Live, we're going to dig into that and a whole lot more with uh, Elite Series rookie Kyle Norsetter. Welcome, Kyle. What's going on tonight? Nothing. How's everybody doing? How are you doing? It's living the dream. Yeah. That's pretty much what I've been doing the last year, uh, just living the dream of what everybody says is the dream, but I truly believe it is the dream. Uh, just a lot of different ins and outs on the year and things that have been going on. Yeah, great. Tonight's uh, Hell Bass Live, as usual, presented by Arsenal Fishing and boosted by Powerhouse Lithium. Uh, see a bunch of people in the chat. If you guys can just make sure, let us know that the uh, video and sound is good, and we'll keep rolling and get, get cooking tonight. All right, Darius is out. He's listening while fishing on Kentucky Lake. He's already got seven smallmouth in the boat. Nice. That's where we should be is fishing. Yeah. Keeping it going. Actually, my so my boat's in the shop because I had an odd thing happen. My Mega 360 shorted out, and I didn't, when I wired it, I didn't put the inline fuse in that you're supposed to put in, and it actually <laughs> took out my fuse under my, like, so I, the, the the only thing that I didn't run complete direct power to my my lithiums, my powerhouse system, was just the 360 transducer because like it runs like two amps. So I was like, I just hooked it into the the Camus clean power, but I didn't put that inline fuse in. So the 360 shorted out, and it took out like all my like like it would it would pop a fuse that would take out. So then I couldn't run my lights, my pumps, my live wells, or anything. So yeah. I'm picking it up tomorrow. The guys at Intune quickly diagnosed what the problem was, uh, but that was that was not a. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the 360 shorted out for some reason, but it was it was my snafu for not putting that fuse in. But a 50 cent fuse, Rich. Come on now. Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it was more the though not skipping the fuse. It was just not taking the time to wire in the the two connectors right on the. Uh, Instead yeah. of just hooking straight straight into the the clean power, I didn't I didn't take the time to put the two connections and put the fuse holder in. But <clears throat> all right, well nobody's complaining. Uh, Brian says uh, sounds good, looks good, so we should be good. Yeah, I got a super moon. Probably a great night for night fishing. <clears throat> Lots of familiar people in the chat. So Kyle, uh, elite series rookie from Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. Uh, a lot of people in this uh, community are from the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. There are people all over the country. 
Is Cottage Grove down like Wassa, Milwaukee? I remember where that is. Uh, Madison, which is just Madison. So it's basically um, Madison, east of Milwaukee. Yeah, about an hour away. Yeah. Do so you do that so, like the hand thing where you like point at your hand? Milwaukee. Scoot over here, right <laughs> in the middle. It's the capital, capital city. So yeah. All right. So like your home waters are like the Madison chain and that kind of stuff, or yep, Madison chain, uh, Kiganza, Wabisa, Mendota, Monona. Nice. So more, more, more experience with Wabisa, Monona. Monona tends to take them all when we do the Madison chain tournaments. Just tends to have bigger fish, mm-hmm. more grass, at least healthy grass. When it comes to Millport, I've only fished it one time. Uh, I had a team tournament. Uh, Josh Douglas and I fished, and they went to NABC years ago, went to the Madison Chain, and we fished whatever the, the bigger, cleaner one was. That's where we spent most of our time in the tournament. Mendota. Mendota. Yeah. Didn't work out. Got our butts kicked by Austin Felix in that tournament. Huh. I'm sure you don't know what that's like. So <laughs> maybe not home, but it it happens everywhere. I mean, we've all experienced it. So yeah. definitely this year too. So you got to keep up with the pace and keep it rolling or you will get left behind faster than you could even blink. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you qualified last year. You basically fished one, one division. I think the central opens, right? So your yep. your first season, you fished three opens, and just like that, magically in the elite series. Um, were, were you were you ex- like what was your? I guess this like <clears throat> rewind back when you were were you when you entered the central opens. Was it like I'm in there to like qualify, or was it like hey, I want to try it out and see what it's like? I mean, like what was your like mindset going into the opens in 2022? So my mindset, I registered for the opens. Um, Central and then the Central Division of the Toyota Series. Uh, okay. The Toyota Series, uh, it didn't pan out as well, but as I was fishing more at home and then traveling more, it was clicking. Um, you know, I had a Ross Barnett and then went straight to um, Chickamauga for the Toyota Series. So yep. I ended up finishing 48th in the first Bassmaster Opens and then went and I ended up having a bolt break. So it costed me or else I would have fished the third day. So I only weighed in four fish on chick um, because the motor was literally hanging off and I had already ran 25 miles like that. So I just putted, got pulled out again. Service crew came and helped. Thank God we have them. Um, And then finished 30th there and then ended up going uh, to the Red River and just kind of hammered down the best way that I could and figured some stuff out. Had a lot of stuff going there. um, And basically like i said it just clicked and then ended up squeaking into the top 10 on that one was the last place in 10th place again and you know weighed in a big bag the second day and then the third day i ended up climbing a couple spots and they just kind of set up you know fished a chatterbait a ton um and flipped a lot with those events uh Mm -hmm. into the reeds and stuff like that on chick and on uh the red river was flipping and then on the main river and then flipping some other timber and then casting a chatterbait chatterbaits what brought the biggest bag in on day two so but ended up going and i had a buddy checking the statistics i wasn't even really all the way into it like i knew that if i would win i may have a chance and he's like well dude you've been doing really well he's like i got confidence i'm like i'm going to have to win this event 
because I think Jimmy Washam and one other guy, they had had two top tens previous and came down to Sam Rayburn, you know, when I kind of looked at the stats and then they really plummeted into the 90s and 80s. And then I ended up sneaking in there with a top 10 in 10th place again. And then come to find out after that, all I would have to do is climb from 10th to 9th. And I knew I was around good fish, but everybody that was in the top 10, I knew could really catch them because there was probably, I think, was it three or four elites that fished that tournament that were in it? Keith, Keith Combs being one, which of course it's his home lake. So to try to jump from him, but ended up climbing the spots and everything worked out. Uh, and then here we are today pushing forward. So with that being said, uh, I didn't know for sure if it would happen. I was actually already pre-registered uh, with all my Airbnbs to fish all nine opens, whether it happened or not. So I had hmm. the intentions on continuing this to try to qualify even after I found out that they changed it to the nine EQ events. So I literally had all nine Airbnbs paid for before I even showed up to Texas, not knowing for sure exactly what would happen considering I was in 10th place, but then the cards kind of fell in my favor. Um, and then here we are. Yeah, very cool. Just quick here, we'll uh, recognize our new member, Venon D seventy seven. Hope I got that right. Uh, give him a little. Uh, let's see here, we got the. Uh, one of us, one of us, one of us. Welcome to uh, Team Hella. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so I guess interesting because, like, obviously, I'm sure you fished a ton back home, but being more on the eastern side of the state, uh, I can't say that, like, when you qualified through the centrals or saw you on, like, the ridiculous, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, like Pat Schlopper, like, I knew who Pat Schlopper was. Yep. Before I even like before I even like before you even fished the opens, like I just but he more fished like Eau Claire, Chippewa Falls, and he was like a big deal. So what kind of circuits did you fish back home and what were you doing over there in Madison? What kind of stuff were you building your kind of your base with over there? Basically, uh Angler's Choice, uh WAPDA's <laughs> other local events I would hop into. Um I mean to break it down to you, this is literally my fifth year fishing tournaments. Okay. And that's counting the elite season. So, like, heavily, fully invested. Um, I've fished my whole life, but mainly beat from the bank as a kid because we couldn't afford mm -hmm. a boat or anything. So I grew up on the backside of Monona Bay off of Park Street. People probably don't know where that is, but I could literally jump the fence and fish Monona Bay. And I would walk that, the triangle, some of the Monona Terrace area, which is on the Madison chain on Lake Monona and vice versa in the bay. And I would do that faithfully pretty much every weekend or even almost after every night after school in between growing up while playing hockey. So I kind of really stuck to the outside and just did what I did. Um, but, you know, tournament experience, I just kind of grasped and fishing has always been a very, very, very strong passion. And once I got into it the first year, I was all in from there. And then financially, talking uh, with the family and everything, uh, going over stuff. It, it just seemed like it was time to give it a try to do something bigger. And it ended up clicking. I mean, you know, trying my first year to fish semi-pro to qualify to fish pro and it worked. I mean, you just kind of got to take it for what it is. You can't turn it down because it's so hard to even qualify. And now the way that you have to qualify, it's even harder. 
Yeah, for sure. So what what got uh, rewind? I guess five years ago. What 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 got? What was the tournament bug? Was it a buddy, a Tuesday nighter, a club tournament? Like what? How did you dip your well, toe into the, so the tournament stuff? Probably five tournaments before that that were just local once a year. It was like the Southside Madison Anglers, something that my dad's buddies would throw on. But there was quite a drawing for it. it would launch out of a little beach in Monona Bay, and then I ended up bumping into another guy and fished one tournament, another tournament with him, and then kind of had a lull. I took a lull from fishing because we ended up, like I told you before, we got three kids and we ended up doing a lot of camping and Mm -hmm. so forth. And as I said, when they asked me about the stuff to qualify, I got super heavily, over heavily into drinking and it took me to the South, like no good. So now I cleaned all that up and devoted all my time pretty much into fishing, family and work, Um, you know, and as soon as I started fishing that one, one event, it just climbed and climbed. I mean, the rush, even fishing a local event and to compete against everybody and just be able to be better and try and better yourself daily and constantly and learning new techniques and everything. It just grabbed and took it from there and haven't looked back since. So don't plan on it. Yeah. Very cool. See, uh, It says Kyle being a former fence jumper himself reminds me. He says he'll be uh, extra extra rooting for you in 2024. Nice, super. Uh, do you know Daniel Glenn? Ah, uh, yep, definitely. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'd have to see his face, but he brings up Chris Lins. So Chris Lins, uh, that was another thing that kind of got everything going. Was we had a little thing with Northside Bass, which we still have um condolences to chris because he was 36 passed away he was definitely a hammer uh fished heavily in the madison chain was invested into the other madison bass clubs they fished tournaments longer than me they kind of brought me and then my brother being my partner into the little group so you know i've learned techniques from all of them at northside bass shared stuff that i knew and we've kind of all taught each other things um yeah you know and just progress from there Clay says, uh, pro tip, uh, pull up the fence and crawl under it. That's his, uh, <laughs> his pro tip. Yeah. Looks like we got uh, Steve Lopez. I believe that's the Steve Lopez that, uh, what was it, runner up to, to Matt Stefan on the cross, I assume? Yep, I that's I, Steve Lopez yeah. right there. He knows this guy. Yeah. He's traveling Welcome the world right now with his family, running around and getting ready to go fish the championship on the Toyota Series, so. Right on, right on. Steve's probably a guy that I probably got to have on some other time. I like to, to you know, have a lot of the Minnesota Wisconsin guys on for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he'd be glad to jump on. He's looking at fishing uh, the Invitationals again next year, so he's already ready to go. Well, I don't. Uh, so uh, Harry says, "Good luck in 24. What tournament? I don't know that we. I don't think we have an elite schedule yet that I'm aware of, unless they released it today." No, and I haven't gotten the email. I'm guessing it may take them another week or two if I would have to check. But yeah. I'm guessing within the next two weeks, we'll know exactly what we're doing and where we're going. Uh, yeah, so I guess what uh, – so I guess Clay says, uh, what do you want – so, I mean, what would uh, – if you could maybe wave your magic wands, maybe, like, give me two. Give me one that you'd be like, I want to fish that because that's just a place I've always wanted to fish. It would be really cool or you think it would set up for you. And then maybe, like, what's – one that you would like maybe you've been to or you know or you'd like feel like you'd have an advantage on 
again, not fishing that much out of Wisconsin. I don't know how much of an advantage. You want to have to bring an elite to the Madison chain? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could do that. I don't know how how well it would sustain, but we got plenty of lakes that tie in together, would fill it up. I mean, 60 boats gets crammed out there, so I couldn't imagine 102. Um, But we've done it before with the Wisco bass. I'm pretty sure you know about that circuit. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're on top of each other, but that happens in professional fishing. So you just got to fish around people and fish harder and stronger. Um, I haven't even thought about that. I'm kind of just waiting and seeing what they deliver and taking it from there and then educating myself on the bodies of water that we got to fish. I mean, Gunnersville may be nice to go. Uh, I know they like to go to Fork. I've never been to Fork. Also, um, what other lake? I, I, I really kind of liked the way... Again, it was a lot of live scoping, um, which that's another controversy among professional fishing these days and all of our uh, viewers of what they like and everything else that's been popping up. I'm pretty sure if everybody sees a feed, but St. Clair was definitely a good fishery. Uh, the St. Lawrence truthfully is an amazing fishery and has plenty of big fish. Uh, just with two days of practice, I didn't get to venture as much as I wanted to because of the cancellation off Champlain, but I wouldn't mind seeing either one of those Champlain, St. Lawrence, are St. Clair again. I mean, they're all tremendous fisheries. So as far as the northern swing goes, that wouldn't be bad. Uh, but like I said, Gunnersville. I mean, we can even go to uh, Sam Rayburn again, where I fished in the opens. That kind of set up for something for me to do a little different relating to the grass mm-hmm. instead of relating to the wood like everybody else wanted to do and the fish just weren't on it. So it was kind of in my favor. Um, go ahead. I would say... As a rookie and a guy that doesn't have decades of experience, I would think that new venues would definitely play into, right? Like places that the elites haven't been five times in the last 10 years would probably work to your favor. Yeah. Um, and also anytime, a northern angle, I think anytime you get around grass, there's an instant comfort level for sure. Oh, at least I feel like. Because I know when I went to Pickwick for the national championship, like I felt right at home. That was, I mean, it's still like grass last time I went there. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And a lot of places we go with the reservoirs, there's not much grass cause everything's sprayed. Um, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I wouldn't mind another shot at Okeechobee though. Um, sure. you know, just being a lot of the tournaments being a big bite out from getting in the top 50 cut, you know, that's pretty much what it ties down to either catch more consistent fish or, catch at least that kicker fish to keep you up there. But Okeechobee was definitely a decent fishery. I could see going there again too. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know that the, the local, I don't know if they could get a permit for Sturgeon Bay. They're kind of stingy no. with those permits over there. If uh, I actually asked, cause that would be a great venue and that's close to home, not being from lacrosse. I mean, I haven't fished either one of those bodies of water that much, never fished hmm. across, only fished Sturgeon Bay once, but I wouldn't mind going there. They're just kind of with the locals. They really don't like a lot of tournaments coming there. So they really yeah. keep it limited on the permits. You ever, you ever fish Bago, the Winnet County chain? Nope. Never fished that. That's got, that's pretty close to you, isn't it? Yeah. It's about an hour and a half. It's so actually there, really cool. It's not like a big weight venue, but I think it's one of the actually most interesting tournament venues in the upper Midwest that I've fished as far as like, you got the wolf, the fox, and then the dirty lakes, and then you got the big lake, and there's just a lot going on there. I think it's a, it's a very underrated tournament venue, especially for a multi-day tournament where you got to make decisions and win, like you know you can get out in the lake some days, and then the wind blows and it completely blows out and things like that. So there's 
Um, and there's things like in the Wolf River and Fox that might hold up for a day or two, but I don't know if they would hold up for four days. So, like, it would be a, a really interesting place for, uh, I mean, the NPFL went there, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the BPT went there, but they did one pound minimum. So they were basically weighing 13 inches, which weren't legal fish. So, you know. Yeah. And I want to say when the NPFL <laughs> went there, the one guy whacked them almost 24 pounds of smallmouth. That was yeah, the. I remember. For which one? The NPFL? Yeah. Yeah, early on there was a guy leading in smallmouth, but then yeah, know, kind of fell off. Guy ended up basically fishing docks and winning, but yeah, cool. Uh, let's see, let's see what other kind of questions we got here. Oh, yeah, so I guess uh, biggest surprise on the elites, I guess maybe hardest thing, easiest thing. I mean, what. There had to be some things that were a little bit of shock to the system, or maybe maybe it went as you thought it would. I don't know. Like, what, what were your... After the first venue, I mean, just getting a grasp of that the first day launching, being out there, but it was just like fishing the opens. It's just you're around all the guys that you've watched on TV and praised to be like. I mean, you know, sitting there on the weekends and everything else and watching bass uh, growing up and everything else, I mean but now you're here with them and you really don't have time to play. You kind of just got to grab it and go. So I, the biggest surprise, God, I would say, I, I don't know. I mean, just you got to catch them and you got to keep fish pinned. Um, that was probably one of the biggest thing is losing fish that would have helped and counted, which happens at any tournament level. Um, yeah, I don't know if I was surprised that big. I mean, towards the middle of the year, I'm not going to lie, the only thing that really got over the top was the driving. Everything else sure. kind of just went for what it is. And then sometimes if practice doesn't go as smooth, you find them at the last minute, but you just roll with what you got. You know, that can be a little stressor, not knowing 100% where to go. A lot of the lakes I did go put my boat on. So I wasn't surprised, but a fraction of them, I never stepped foot on the whole northern swing except for St. Clair. So the last two and then Murray, I never put my boat on before, like pre-fished or anything. So I just went there and then is the biggest hiccup or surprise switching from the opens, giving myself five days of practice to now we get three and that's it. Right. So it's really two and a half if you have a lot to rig because you're cutting yourself short so you're not tying knots in the dark at nine at night and then you can get everything situated for tournament morning so that was probably the biggest road bump for me um is figuring it out fast and that's all you get yeah i was gonna wonder i was like and it, like it wasn't a lot of people right because some um people you know, before this year right like there's a lot of guys that would spend a week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, practicing for opens because there was no off limits. And for a lot of people, that adjustment of getting down to two and a half days of practice is, um, you mean you going know, a big from adjustment, the, but you know, going, going from, from five, you, you kept it to a kind of manageable number. Um, which is really four and a half because they cut you off at noon in the opens. Right. But I'm going to tell you when you're crunching, at least when you get to the peak season, 14 hours on the water. I mean, that's what I'm there when it's cracking light and I'm leaving when it's cracking no light, you know? Um, so 14 hour days on the water. I mean, the four and a half, 
I would never go to a body of water and even think about looking at it if I had that much practice time before an event. But that sure. two and a half days, I mean, there's some guys that don't ever go. And I'm not saying that I would consistently do it. I have very big plans to grind as hard as I possibly can and stay focused towards this next season because, of course, everybody knows the stats, me finishing 80th. That means if it wasn't my rookie year, I wouldn't requalify. So I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket this next year, probably dumb down work a little bit and just focus and grind as hard as I can to stay in the elites and move and get as much advanced as possible. Yeah, because so. you like, I mean, 80th is not, it's not great. <laughs> we'll just be honest, but, but it's it, not. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat We won't sugarcoat it, it, but it wasn't right. like, I mean, there's guys, <laughs> there are veterans that were in the 90s, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like, it could have been worse. I mean, so 80th isn't the worst, like, but you have to finish above 70th or you're done yep. next year. Yep. Because um, no, nothing you can average with 80 below 71 sure. gets you <laughs> no because if you if, if you were if you won aoi you're already in so really there's no average right. so, but it, once you're above 70 then you're averaging yeah. and the 80th isn't the worst for you i mean like it could have been a lot worse right there's guys that i mean i don't think anybody thought john suckup was gonna uh start no. the, with a hundredth right like well, did, did you see the pie that was released they he was supposed to win and i'm not disrespecting john suckup so i'm not starting no wars or nothing but he had the pie for like 42% of what rookie would perform the highest and win right. rookie yeah. of the year and do the best. So again, it's fishing and everybody has a road bump. Hopefully he can pull it back together and I can pull it back strong. I will say, you know, my first year I wanted to, my goal was not set. Everybody's goal is set to win. So I'm not trying to play it down that I did not want to win. But my biggest goal and achievement, I wanted to make all nine cuts, which if you check the track record, we only had two people do it this year and then one person do it last year. So it, yeah, it was, even uh, to get Welcher in the top. And Blaylock and, this year? Yep, Stenson. Yep, those two. Um, but even to make the top 50 cut when you're fishing in the elites or even any level at that point, once you get up that high, the BPT, um, I mean, it's accomplishment in its own. I made four cuts this year, so I will say I'm proud of that, but we definitely got to step it up next year um, just to maintain our position in the elites and, you know, kind of go from there. And just Yeah, but that was good. So, like, let's say you, right, let's say you uh, finish somewhere between 50 and 65th next year, right? Like, averaging that with an 80th actually puts you in a pretty good position for year three where yep. you could – you could probably afford a 75th and still like stay alive. Um, whereas like John, like, like he needs to get, like, he's got to finish like two or three years in a row above the 70 line to get rid of that, like hundred to drop it out of his, you know what I mean? Cause it, you can't average that out with anything. So, yeah. So um, the average, the average is really weird and I haven't checked it since we're done. But I averaged, even though I was, even when I was in 76. So Champlain really tore me. I have no excuses for Champlain. That was just poor performance. Um, I was on fish during practice. I felt comfortable, but then running around live scoping and I just didn't run across the big fish schools. It was just a tragedy that just happened. Um, definitely wore me loose. And I was glad I went in very hungry, knowing I only had two days of practice for the St. Lawrence, stuck to the river. Um, because I went out on the lake and it was just too much for me to swallow. I was only catching 13 inches and nine inches. And I found a couple good areas with four and a half pounders. 
I knew my max was going to be about 22 and a half, which is what I right. had the first day kind of fell backwards. The other two, I was hoping for 22 and a half every day. Um, probably should have made another move that I made on the last day, which jumped me up over 20, but just take it for what it is. So, I mean, I can grind it out in two days if I have to, it's definitely not what I want to do. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, just one of those things. I mean, all of it can wear on you. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you actually, I mean, you trended pretty good, right? I mean, like obviously Okeechobee, Seminole Murray, not great, but then, you know, you finished the year with four out of six cuts. Yep. So, um, you know, things are, you know, there's, there's optimism there. Obviously Champlain, like you mentioned, you would think that as like a Northern angler, you would have felt more comfortable, but like Champlain, like, Seth Fighter had three top fives there in his three visits, and he ended up finishing like 70th or 80th. So, like, yeah. uh, there's this. Uh, I feel Champlain like that's a, because the largemouth did not play, and they were yeah. not a factor. If you largemouth fish, I mean, you were left in the dust. Like, since live scope, if you're not out there that time of year on those smallies that are chasing bait balls and running across the correct ones, I mean, there's probably a couple people. That didn't do that, but overall, I mean, the whole field was doing it. Yeah, know? and I think even the guys that kind of like dipped their toe in both and didn't devote enough time to the smallmouth also got kind of caught with, I mean, caught with their pants down a little bit to, per se. So, um, yeah, Jason Christie whacked them and then ended up not finding them and having to go largemouth fishing. I think his weights dropped down to 15 pounds and he weighed almost, what, 21 something the first day? Hmm. So it just kind of shows, but he just kind of grinded it out with the weight that he had. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, you could look at Fighter and Brandon, both had, I mean, guys that had, you know, perennial top tenors. Uh, so let's see here. Let's a couple more questions here. You talking about Polinick? Because Polinick also shocked us on the first day of the St. Lawrence, which can happen, yeah. but he turned it right back around on the second day. But the thing is, like, that's. You, you can't make up ground on those <laughs> no. northern lakes. Like, it's... No. Uh, a couple questions here. What kind of... Oh, like, it kind of sounds like, uh, would you say you're more of a power fishing finesse guy? You mentioned chatterbait and flipping. Is that more your bread and butter? Or... Yeah. Obviously, so... you got to be able to do everything at this level. But what, well, I guess, what would you like to do? What's your comfort zone? I mean, I just... I like fishing a chatterbait because again, where we're from, we have a ton of milfoil. Um, and if you have a grass area, even with not so much grass area, the bait is just dominant. It just dominates in my mind. Um, as long as you're ticking the weeds, you can reel it without it and they'll hit it. But I always come in contact with cover period. Um, it becomes a pain sometimes, uh, but it definitely gets the bites. And then if you find them, you can dumb it down by flipping a jig or a creature bait. I still like, I know a lot of people like to fit plastics and they say, why do you still flip a jig? I don't know. I just like flipping a jig. It gets bit when I want it to. I mean, if I have to go to soft plastics, that's fine, but definitely a chatter bait. If I had to keep it in my hands, the sad thing is it only performed for me really on two events. Other than that, I had to kind of roll with the punches. I mean, and just go with what was getting bit you know like you said you kind of just gotta grasp it and go from there on what they're eating yeah i see there's a lot of questions about requalification and i do not have the formula i do not have the list 
And I don't know that there is going to be a list for quite some time because if there's guys that like my understanding is if there's guys that retire or like, then that will like, so they don't want to say like, but some of the guys know, that, that retired, I think we had two depending, um, you know, they're on legend status. So, you know, if yeah. the two and guys are running out of legend points, but let's say, I don't know, let's pick a guy like, uh, trying to think who would be maybe a Mike Huff. He finished 99th. This is like his third year in the elites. Yep. But if somebody like, I'm making things up now, but let's say uh, a guy like Kobe Krieger is in, but he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to retire anyways. Like they're not, they don't want to announce that Mike Huff did not requalify and then invite him back after Clint Davis or Kobe Krieger making these names up. These aren't like rumors, <laughs> I'm just saying. So yeah, like yeah. they keep this close to the vest until like the deposits come in and that kind of stuff. It, it, I know the fans and a lot of people would rather prefer to have like some kind of like list and be able to see, but that's just not how they've handled things in the past. No, no. And I mean, most of the guys usually can come up with the, all the sponsorships and stuff as far as their down payments. Um, but yeah, you just don't know. We've ran numbers, um, you know, just to double check and see who it would be and whatnot, just so I understand, you know, cause it's all new. I mean, it's confusing cause they've always done an average. This is the first year from my understanding that they're doing the top 70. So they yeah, kind of, no, you could have been like 99th for five years in a row, but if you finish 69th, you're safe this year. Well, there was three people that were supposed to be cut last year that they brought back in because the field right. got extended. So they had to finish high enough um, because they would be the first ones off the list no matter what. Right. And if like a Bass Nation champ doesn't accept his bid or an opens guy that for some reason finishes in the t I mean, I got to think if you're fishing all nine of the EQs and you make it, you're, you're going to come up with the funds. But yeah. whatever, right? Somebody gets sick. Somebody all of a sudden gets cold feet, whatever, right? Has a life change at home, can't do it. Then like, you know, these guys get backfilled in. Um, but we are, we are pumped for Maddie because Maddie was definitely one of the guys on the chopping block and he had a big, strong finish at the end of his year. And uh, he's fishing year three. Yeah. Him, him and Alex Redwine. Yep. Alex Redwine. Got it yep. up it, without the Northern swing, both of them, you know, I've talked to Maddie. I didn't talk to Alex too much, but I know Alex was way down and he hammered him. And then Maddie, I mean, God, what he had, was he in two top tens in the Northern swing? I want to say, or was it one? He finished good in all of them. I mean, and he literally was on the cutting block the last day of the St. Lawrence. And I talked to him that morning because we were parked next to each other. He's like, I have to come up five points, five points. If I don't, I'm gone. And he ended up making it and fishing the top 10. So kudos to him. He busted his rear off to get there. So it's not an easy accomplishment. I mean, a lot of people watching may think that this is easy and everybody makes it look easy, but it is not easy. You know, there's no room for air. Yeah. I mean, I've heard there's definitely guys like Daryl Gleason and a few others like without the list. But if you wait, if you listen to the way they talked, on day two, Laurent, or, you know, at St. Lawrence on the stage, you know, there, there was some guys that seemed pretty confident they wouldn't be invited back. So, um, yeah, but 
Yeah, the one person, I guess, I didn't get to see his speech, but somebody else brought it up to me, which he actually requalified, but he thought he was on the done and over with. Somehow he got bumped back up, I guess, um, just the way that it was. The last qualifying person was Frank Talley. Somebody mm. was talking about that he did yeah. a speech about that he's ready to retire, but I don't think he's really going he's to like, retire. He was basically like, it won't be so bad if I go spend some more time with the grandkids and be yeah. at home and, yeah. But yeah, he's in the 70th spot. So yeah, so I don't know if he means that or if he's gonna just soak it back up and run it another year. So we'll have to see. That's like you said. I I don't know what he's thinking. I'm guessing he's gonna fish again. I don't see why he wouldn't. But you know, as far as qualifications, again, since they changed to the EQs, they're not eliminating 13 people anymore. They're only eliminating um, 10 because you got your nations, and then before you had 12 qualifiers from the opens because you had mm -hmm. three for the all the divisions and then three per division um now it's just nine so they kind of took a couple qualifying spots away when they did the eqs uh do you run with anybody this season travel alone uh, i roomed just a couple times depending on if it made sense for him with caleb kapal besides that i traveled alone i traveled alone um for all the opens and everything so it's just kind of how I did it. I mean, a lot of people being the rookie class, they already knew people. I mean, you had people that knew people that knew people because a lot of the rookies weren't necessarily rookies. Um, you know, they've already had connections in the game for many years. So um, for the most part, except for three events, yeah, I roomed with Caleb Kapal. So the last two and then Okeechobee. Other than that, just by myself yeah clay they've been taking the bass nation champ for i mean polinick was a nation champ uh caleb sumrall uh maddie wong pat schlopper and who was it uh yeah uh will will davis will davis yep so those are the, the most recent ones that i can remember i mean there was a cody holland was the one before pat he uh he didn't requalify last year the year before um randy pearson from california was a former nation champ um uh, yeah so yeah i mean you really got to go through the gauntlet there too mm -hmm. did you, you ever you never did any nation tbf stuff or anything in wisconsin no no nations no tbf stuff just the tournaments i mean i fished the madison bass clubs wednesday nighters here and there and they're mm -hmm. part of it you know, I looked into some of that stuff, but then it was like weighing it out, like I said, and I'm like, I'm just going to give it a shot because I got my feet wet when we qualified to fish the championship for the Gunnersville tournament as the team tournament. So once I finally, I mean, I fished out of state a couple of times, but once I finally got out there, stayed a week and then kept fishing, I was like, you know, it's to me, I just got to give it a shot and see what happens. And here we are, you know, uh, definitely still got a lot to learn and i think no matter what level or how good you are pro how long you've been doing it you can never close the doors on learning there's always more education and stuff coming out on what you can do better techniques rigging so forth yeah absolutely um steve says did you find yourself fishing for points or always going for the win or like did it change throughout the season or did you approach did you approach Okeechobee the same way that you approached the northern swing or how did that go through the season so i kind of just 
I really wasn't trying to hit a home run and go for the win every event. I was looking to fish more for points just to know that I can requalify to be here. Um, you know, and after the Champlain, I told myself I was going to go for the win. But at the same time, I was hoping to make two cuts on the northern swing towards the end of the year. And when I was out on the lake, because I knew the lake would win. The lake, whenever the lake is in play, it always wins, period. There's no questions asked. I mean, it's going to dominate the river. There's still big bags to be caught in the river and not saying that somebody couldn't make it into the top 10, but it's just not going to win. Um, but I couldn't find anything. So at that point, that's when I salvaged the river. So I was trying to go for the win when it came down to the St. Lawrence, because really I had nothing to lose at that point. Um, I was trying to maintain my points going into the northern swing considering the other cuts that I made just to stay above that 70. But when I fell at Champlain, I think I was in 76. And if I would have did even decently there, it would have climbed me more. So I ended up going for what I thought would have at least kept me in the top 50 and hopefully climb from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to talk a big game. And I guess if you've been on the tour for 10 years and you've already got a win or you already got an AOI, you can, <laughs> you can fish for the win, but the reality of it is that there you you gotta. Well, the reality is the top fifty still pays. I mean, the yeah. check jumps up tremendously. If you're below that, I mean, we get some money down in the spots below, but it doesn't even cover what the entry fee is. So really, you need to be in the top fifty, you know. And it doesn't matter if you're eleventh or fiftieth; it's the same. So at that point, you are fishing for points, um, which to me, if I could have climbed instead of fallen. Um, which I fell back. I think that's another goal that I need to set for next year, which the opens, I didn't have problems for some reason catching the fish on the third day. I know the Sabine, I mean, that was literally, I knew I ran out of fish. So I was just stoked that I made the cut with the fish that I had. Um, but all I caught was 11 and three quarter inches and physically didn't weigh in because I zeroed. So that was a little like bumming, um, drove straight home without stopping because that was my daughter's graduation um, from high school. So I had a lot going on in my mind, not using that as an excuse because the size of fish that I caught there just was not a single keeper that day. I was just shocked, but at least I made the cut there and finished, I think, 50th. And the other ones, I caught my limits and stuck it out, except for Santee Cooper, which there was only one person there that caught a limit every day. And, you know, being in fourth place, having a camera for the first time, I thought I was on a pattern that could do it. And then I lost two big ones back to back with the camera on and then ended up only weighing in two fish that day. So I still would have fell short from a limit, but I think if I'd have landed those fish, it wouldn't have broken the school up as bad. Um, lesson learned, I wasn't using a trailer hook. I didn't need it during practice and I didn't need it the first day, but the second day, I Spinner think- Spinnerbait or Spinnerbait. So, and I wasn't casting under the trees. I was fishing isolated eel, eel grass in about six to eight feet, which most people were fishing trees. But, um, you know, lesson learned, I'll, I'll put one on from now on. Because my second fish that day, when he swatted at it, he had it hit on the side of his face like he was jerkbait fishing. You know, like it was hooked here and here. Mm. So had I not had that trailer, I probably wouldn't have kept him pinned. And I would only wait in the one fish. It's just devastating losing fish that are a five and a six pounder back to back. I mean, it's hard to shake off. It was uh, hard to shake off on Champlain or not Champlain, St. Lawrence, because my first pitch on the second day, I lost a five pounder and I physically had my hand on its tail 
ready to go get it and it jumped and there it went. And then I went to move a spot. My trolling motor cable broke. Uh, you know, I had my balance, so I didn't go kaploosh, but it was just one of those days. And I went to go put my life jacket on, threw my life jacket in the water when I was putting down. I'm like, come on, what's going on here? Yes. Well, speaking of driving home, I think you uh, you still work when you're home, right? Uh, building decks and things like that. What, so what do you, uh, how's that so work? This, this year, I know the question asked how many decks to build. Uh, this year, we'll probably only do 10. Uh, we still got, or, or maybe 11. Um, on average, we do 22 to 30, um, depending on the size and square footage. So if they're smaller, we'll crunch out more. If they're bigger, five, six, seven hundred square feet, we'll do a little less. Um, this year, the numbers are definitely down. I knew that going into it. Uh, I should be back to work this week, but my back, I messed up the last day of practice at St. Clair, got that adjusted, got back in order. And then the last two days at uh, Champlain, or no, the last two days of the St. Lawrence, it, it re-triggered. So I've had off the last couple of days since I've been home, just diddly daddling because going and crunching lumber around definitely isn't going to suit right now. So hopefully we're back to full speed by Monday or Tuesday after Labor Day. So is that you yeah. and your own company for the decks or? Yeah. Yep. So I've been in business now. I think it'll be 15 or 16 years on my own. Um, it started out with windows and siding. Uh, kind of, you know, I, I honestly have done construction and that kind of traits. God, what even longer than that. And one thing that doesn't rub me, but I still get it done because you don't got no choice is uh, too high of heights. You know, second story is pretty much my cat. I hate going up <laughs> three story. Uh, even second story gets to me sometimes, but you got to get it done. That's the one thing I like about decks is I don't have to carry planks and ladders around all the houses. Um, enjoy working with the lumber and then the craftsmanship that we put into it. And it's all in one area so you can set up and just have at her and go from there. But we mainly only do composite decks. I pretty much turn away all the wood. So the substructure is wood and then the decking is composite so with aluminum rail. So that's the KN exteriors on your jersey? Yeah, that's the Kyle Morissette. Everybody asked what the and is, but when I did it, KN, it was KN construction, then I switched it to exteriors, but everybody asked, but KNN, it just sounded better. So I threw the end in there. And I had a couple old timers that I asked them, you know, I always like to get protocol for why'd you hire us? And a couple old timers that had hot rods. And, oh man, I figured your company would be great because KN and air filters has always suited me over the years. So I'm like, heck, maybe the name scored me a couple jobs. So, so if you're in the Madison area and you, and you need a deck built, you can you can look K and N up. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And we got a Facebook page and all that gallery, so forth. Uh, that's one thing is, you know, towards everything, I like to keep everything tip top shape and do quality work. I don't know seems kind of like i feel like there's a little double meaning to this from our, yeah our from i was kind of i was kind of reading it it's kind of one of those things where mercer put me on stage and i was telling him that my fiance was at home plowing snow and maybe it should be vice versa and he threw me for a curve on the first event on okeechobee and of course our boy yeah. art day he had to call me right away because he's like dude how did you do that i'm like i don't know why did your perverted mind go the way that it does <laughs> so you know nice well i'm gonna take a quick here spot from one another partner here and then uh we're gonna get some of your thoughts on front-facing sonar when we're back here in 30 seconds okay 
Are you ready to reel in your next home purchase or refinance? Supreme Lending's Dream Team can help guide you through the entire mortgage process, from pre-qualification to closing. We have a wide variety of home loan programs in our tackle box, including down payment assistance and first-time homebuyer options. You can ask Hella Bass. He trusted us to help finance his home. Contact the Dream Team today by searching Supreme Lending Dream Team or click the link below in the description or scan the QR code on your screen. All right, we're back. <clears throat> so if you got any of those people that uh, you're building decks for and they need to, you know, go bigger and bigger, you can refer them to the Dream Team. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. So lots of questions in the chat here about uh, front-facing sonar. Uh, Clay says, any rumbles? So I don't know about emails, but has maybe you can answer this. Has, has Bass reached out to the anglers at all to gauge their feelings? Like, have they sent out any surveys or questionnaires on front-facing? No, you don't have to give us specifics, but have they? Can you tell us whether they have requested there's your a, guys' input? I'll tell you this. There's a lot of guys that don't like it. Um, yeah. if I spoke my mind and I mean, no disrespect to them cause they've been in the game a long time. I feel like more of the old timers, you could say, don't like it as much as the younger generation. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I've been tournament fishing total five years now, so I'm not trying to speak too in depth about which one I qualified without it. I had mega live. Now I have Garmin. Um, clearly there's a difference. Everybody knows in the world um you know for clarity bait tracking and so forth but i could go either way if we're gonna have it i'm gonna keep adapting and learning more and more if somebody decided to take it really i truly believe it doesn't matter about the anglers my opinion your opinion your opinion probably matters way more because it's going to come down to what the fans like to watch and yeah, but i'll just you curious, know, to your knowledge bass hasn't reached out for angler input on front-facing sonar not at this given moment, um, yeah. but I know a lot of anglers have triggered it. To I'm sure them. a lot of them have offered it up without being asked. To yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, well, did you watch any of the live talk um, for? Yeah, Saint no, Warren? for sure. There was, especially in the live mix and, and during the broadcast, there was, there was discussions on it. And I think it does come down to, I mean, the only one that, I guess the only people that really know are MLF and Bassmaster and what happens to their live viewer counts in uh front facing dominated derbies versus not and is there a drop off or not and i think that's the only thing that's going to probably really drive any regulation or change or limits or anything like that is if if the viewership is significantly down where that it ends up hitting them where it counts then other than that that's the only thing that's probably going to drive any kind of change yeah and i think with viewership if i spoke my mind on it and talked with anybody about it it would be basically they need to show our screens, kind of like when Gussie, yeah. he won on the they classic. They need to get better on immersing the viewer into what's happening. Right. So it's boring to watch because you got a guy looking down like this versus a guy making random casts. And yes, we're not casting until we see a fish because there's really no point. Um, I mean, you can still catch them without it. But when you're hunting, especially for smallmouth with the last events, you know, you really need it. But if they could chime in like they had with the Apex units for Hummingbird and do a live screen for whoever's in the top six or the top 10 with the camera guy, 
the viewers would understand how to use it, what we're doing, techniques we're doing. They could see the bait, see the fish. Um, you know, I just don't know if it will ever go there. The thing is, if they take it from us, they're going to have to do a train effect and take it from everybody all the way back to the nations because you can't have guys qualifying with it. You know, th their oh, concept, yeah. their concept of the EQs. So I'll speak on this part, which will fall with that, was to build the more rounded, better angler. Um, again, Bass makes the decisions. Everybody can have their input. Um, kind of like we just talked about. I'm new. I know I'm new. I have a lot to learn. I qualified in three tournaments, my first three that I entered. Um, you know, so am I as rounded as what they were looking for? Probably not. Did I still hang good for what I've got? Absolutely, but I'm not happy with my results. But they'd have to travel it all the way back down the line because you can't have people just like the umbrella rig. Um, you know, you got to eliminate it from where it starts. So they'd have to cut it out of every single series if that was the case. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. I know there's I, I, a I don't lot. think I I I don't think we're going to see it eliminated. I don't I don't think that's if really anything, on the table. If anything, I you know. I don't know because it's up to Bass. It's not up to us. They could ask us as much as they want, but ultimately Bass is going to make the ultimate decision. Um, even if they were to call us and ask our input, you know, it's their league, their rules. It's what they decide. Um, of course, viewership is important for everything because that's what funds the whole circuit um, for all of us to be able to do what we do. And, you know, it, it's, we'll see what happens. I mean, probably will soon to come because it's been stirred up in the last events and people are clearly pointing fingers on what they want and what they don't want. And everybody rightfully so has their opinion to express. Yeah. But I think, I think both Bass and MLF need to like, if they're not doing this, they need to be like putting teams together that are brainstorming ways to cover it better, whether it's, figuring out ways to tap into more brands, whether they can do that or not because of their deals with Hummingbird, you know, or getting more unique camera angles. Can they get another, like, a GoPro that's mounted, you know, maybe up towards the angler so we can get more of their face or the front of their jersey so they can, like, clip, you know, some way, like, can they get, like, auxiliary cameras to the big cameras that can get auxiliary shots and show different angles or, you know, give us something that's not going to interfere with the angler, obviously, but can give us just a little more than just like, right? Because I know there's like this popular in our Facebook group, Minnesota Bass Heads. There'd be the people are like screenshotting four guys all with their backs to them, all with their rods in their head, none of them casting. Yeah. So just you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, that that, that <laughs> it's not the greatest look. So I think, and I think the other thing that Bass can do is probably. And, and I think to some degree they tried to do this because I don't think they thought Champlain was going to be the scope fest that it ended up being. I really think when they put Champlain in between St. Clair and St. Lawrence, they figured we're going to get smallmouth topwater. We're going to get people flipping largemouth. We're going to, you know, like we're going to get that yeah. the Champlain we're used to. And then it was probably maybe more of a live scope fence than even St. Clair, if that's possible. I mean, it was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And then it ended up just being three smallmouth events, all front. I mean, actually, St. Lawrence was probably the least front-facing summer, although it was very important. Yeah. But I'm, I'd be saying, like, yeah. I mean, still very important, but, like, it was probably the least dominated. There was still guys, like, fishing and fishing rock piles and maybe not seeing every single fish, but it was still super right, important. But they, they weren't in the top ten. I mean, Bill Lowe made the top ten, didn't he? Almost. He was trying to chatterbait. 
No, I think he felt he felt short. Or maybe finished eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, I mean, but it's still dominated. But it wasn't probably as dominated as the other two. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I think there was more guys that you know. There was probably some guys doing some drift fishing in the river and things like that, where it wasn't like a hundred percent staring at every fish I was catching. Um, yeah. But so, I, but I think so. Like a, a place like Lacrosse, in between, would have been a real breath of fresh air. <laughs> Oh, for yeah, the people that not... really don't like to watch you know what yeah. i mean like um so i think they could do some things with like hey maybe we need to get make sure that we have the arkansas river on the schedule we need to make sure we have you know like two river events out of the nine or and i think it i was thinking about this today when i was walking my dogs a little bit i was like you know there was nine events is that right regular yeah. season events just so have three northern smallmouth events that is kind of over represented for the what really the viewer base right like if you if you look at like a density map like in population of their fan base that's probably less than a third that are really like locked into like into fishing so we probably should limit it to like two (laughs) and probably i don't know so they, they probably just need to take a and i think they can you know that's just my opinion i think they need they, they're in a tricky position with trying to like balance like sponsors host cities that are actually willing to pay them what the fans like to see keeping the angler there's a lot to to jumble together and i think that, th- that they have a lot of challenges ahead of them yeah yeah i mean yeah the, the live scope I, I could honestly go either way just i yeah. fished with i, I don't think it's going anywhere there's too much money yeah. too much investment i don't it's not going anywhere Do you think that there may be limitations, though, because a lot of guys got a lot of them on their boat? Yeah, I I do think that, you know, whether it's maximum four screens or maximum, let's say, let's see, what's four twelves, 48, maximum 50 inches. Right. But but, but, but let's say you end up with a 360, which is a frozen screen. Then you got one live scope and then you want one for mapping. And then you got two. You can, you can, you can get, I do it all the time. Like you can, if you have a 12 inch hummingbird, you can 360 and one third screen your map. And you, do you really need a third graph up front? (laughs) I mean, you don't, but I would prefer a 15 if I'm going to have to do that. Well, that's right. And so if you, if, if, if they were limited to like, let's say the limit was like 50 inches. Yep. So you could do like a single 16 on the back. And have three or two 12s and a 16 up front. So before I made the elites, I had a single 15 Solix and I had two 12s up front. That's it. Three graphs. And I had Mega Live with Mega 360. And I'd do a split screen for the, um, you know, I'd, I'd have my 360 because I understood it more mm-hmm. than the Mega Live as I'm learning the live. Um, I know what to look for on the 360 fish, everything. I know it like the back of my hand. So I had full screen with that. But if I needed full screen that it was networked, I'd switch back and forth. I realized having multiple graphs, there's a backup if something goes wrong. Plus, it's nice when you're driving to have a 12-inch screen with three-way split screen, side imaging, down imaging, sonar, or a full screen of side imaging. So as far as finding areas two graphs at the council, you know, I, I've always ran one and bigger. It honestly is better. And then if you have a problem, you've got a backup. So ha- having multiples, I would say the backup 
is more important than anything. Um, you know, that's, that's the main reason I run two tens instead of a single 12 or a single 15 is uh, redundancy. Um, I also do think like more interactions, you know, especially on live mix when, when we don't have Tommy and, and Mark and people talking to carry the show, like live mixes can be pretty stale depending on the angler that they're on. So I just think there's, um, yeah, I mean, and some of these angles should be taking a bigger <laughs> opportunity. Obviously, you're, it's hard. Not everybody is built to focus on fishing and entertain and communicate and, and uh, at the same time. But um, but uh, I, I think, you know, there's just, I mean, the same thing, right? We, uh, you know, like they limit the size of bowling balls. They limit the, the width of... Uh, you know, goalie pads, right? Sticks. Well, they, they limit they limit our horsepower, but you can go down as low as you want as long as you stick. Right, with and it. maybe there should be a minimum. I mean, I, ML, uh, MLF has a minimum. A minimum. Like, you have to have so like you have a minimum horsepower for like BFLs and Toyotas and stuff. So I'm I'm not for sure about that because remember Keith Poche fishes the. No, stone. Keith Keith Poche got DQ'd from a uh, an event for not having a high enough horsepower at one point. Okay. But last year he, he ran a 90. Yeah. It, it's not like the minimum is like 60 or 75 or okay. something okay. like that. Or, but, but you know what I'm saying is like, right. Goalie pads can only be so wide. Baseball bats can only be so fat. Driver heads can only be so big. Like it's not crazy to say you can't have more than 60 inches of graph or four graphs or five graphs. Or, I mean, like the point when we start getting like seven graphs and, and, and five front facing sonar, it does become to a point also where it is completely unrelatable to anybody watching. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. You know because, what I mean? So like at the, yeah. there's a certain like disconnect as well on top of just how fun is it to watch? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Financially wise, your average weekend angler or local tournament angler that is watching to learn, they cannot go out. I mean, that's $60,000 in graph if not more on your boat when you got five and depending on the series that you're running, logically most people can't afford that. I mean, right. you know, with normal working Americans, it's, it's not logical. I mean, logical is literally probably a 12 at the council and maybe two tens up front or even a 12 and a 12, you know, for your normal weekend. Warrior that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think four, like if you're smart about it, you can do everything you need to do with four units. Yeah. And you can you you can customize it, right? If you're a guy that wants one and three or two and two or, or whatever, like I don't know. I think that starts to put a and, and I I think overall we we probably should think about like how we're going to cap the bass boat market a little bit. Like uh, you know, like we want to sell boats and promote products and grow the sport and the industry. Like you know, if if six graphs becomes the norm for stay, I mean, then it's all of a sudden we went from one ten to you know one thirty for you know about. It's just like the majority at some of point, both are. 80 to 100 grand raw in the shell with the motors on yeah. power poles and now you added another 40 to 50 in like so you got 150,000 so let's just cap it at 20 in electronics instead of 30 or 40 yeah i mean there'll be still guys that'll do it right there's still guys that buy 300s and put them on jaguars like they're they're gonna fish well, you, you, you know? do gotta give old john cox credit for how he fishes he i think he was what 13th or 14th when i looked in aoi after we ended yeah. and he's got two and that crest liner and he don't care what anybody else is doing he just does himself and i mean 
like you said, I know Bill Owen, he was fishing shallow. He did his thing. So it's, it's just hard. I understand. And, and that's the thing is like, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, the, the guys that are complaining about front facing sonar are a, the older guys and guys that didn't have great years. Right. And, and I, I meant there are guys that, like John Cox, any old guys who, on the league that are watching, I mean, no disrespect, but when you look yeah. at the statistics, these younger high school and college kids coming up, phones, technology. I'm not that good with technology myself as far as computers and everything. I'm way better building and doing that kind. Of, I know my strengths and I stick to them. Um, you know, so that's why I can go both. Like I'm into it now and I'm starting to really understand it that I know I can grow from it. But if it disappeared, I'll go right back to my roots and what I know. Um, you know what it is. I, the guys that are 20, 30 years on tour, I mean, they're going to struggle a little bit more. Some of them will grab to it, but some of them won't. And some of them have strong beliefs that that's not fishing. And there's a lot of fans that believe that. And there's a lot of fans that don't. Um, you know, I know there was a lot of comments and stuff going back and forth. People would just like to see the screens with other anglers that have done posts. If they were to keep it versus ban it, they want to see what we're doing so they can learn. Because a lot of people, even in the local events, have a live scope, you know, I mean, Christ, with the Garmin, Cabela's ran killer um, deals during Christmas. Nine inch. And yeah. stuff like that that people couldn't even do. I know uh, one of my sponsors, he even had the deals on the nine inch and the 10 inch chatty boys. So it's like you can reach out to all of them, you know, and, and get something for a reasonable price. Even if it's the outdated transducer for now until the 34 goes on sale and is only 800. Start with something, you know, so... It's it, it is a controversy that I don't know if we'll see the results for yeah. immediately, but it will go on, you know, and if it's kept, it will go on for the next year on the live mix and everything and other professional series that you'll see guys will complain. Guys will love it. So it's like, is it a half and half thing? You know, because if it's a 50 50 thing, it's, you know, it's hard to break up when it's equal. Because no, you got a lot sure. of young and, and that's why I think, you got a lot of old things. I think it's it's a mix of things. I think it's you know, because you you can you can limit it in a few ways, right? You can limit it by scheduling yep. to some degree. Like obviously Okeechobee was one on front facing sonar, but it wasn't right. dominated by front. Right. You know what I mean? That like, was probably the biggest surprise of the year, though, right? Like who right. would have thought somebody's gonna run up river and catch them on forward facing sonar on a jerk bait at Lake Okeechobee? I mean, he was probably one of the only guys up there. I think there was one right. other guy that but I talked to that the ran other, up the river. You know, uh, second, as far as we know, second through 20th were. Yep. Was it used? Probably. Was it? I think Kennedy was like helping to find some bedfish or cruisers using perspective mode right. and things like in that. Perspective, but... perspective mode's a killer. And Luke Palmer proved that to us on. Um, he actually Sam wasn't Cooper. using perspective mode. Who? Palmer. On Cooper? No, he was using it in the traditional mode based oh, okay. on the interviews I heard. But yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't hear it. I just assumed from the year before because yeah. the year before they were talking about it and he had it in perspective mode. So he ended up finishing, I think, third. No, he, last he, he said he doesn't really use perspective mode because he doesn't understand it as well. And he's just so used to fishing back home and like catching crappies off stumps and things back home in Oklahoma that he's just okay. used to setting it shallow and being able to see. Okay. Well, you learn something new every day. I think he actually just tilts it up a notch or two. Yeah. Keeps oh. it in traditional mode. Yep. Yeah. You got to, when you go, if you're strictly shallow like that, you want to 
tilt it up a notch. That way you're shooting more outward. Yeah. So I, I get that. I think there's a lot of ways, like, right. So scheduling, maybe there is some limitations to number of transducers or total screens. You know, uh, I don't think it's going away though. Like, I don't think we're going to, uh, there's too much money involved. And I, so I think it's just, and then we just have to get better at like covering it and making it more engaging and interesting for the fan. Cause I think there's several people, including Aaron in the chat that thinks that like, literally like you can just drive around and catch small mall super easy on live scope. And it's the easiest thing in the world, but you know, put your, I think if you displayed it better, I think people would realize how difficult it is went out on Champlain when the wind was blowing and three footers to try to spot a small mouth and then make that pinpoint cast and then keep that bait hovered above their head. That's take skill. Like that's even, not something that you just roll out in the first time and do. Right. The one thing that it's taught me, and we'll use the St. Lawrence. Um, I was near deep water in the river and then fishing chunk rock that came up to like 30 and they would scurry in the rocks. I could see them there. Those ones would hit instantly. There's a lot of marks that look like bass. I finally caught two on the last day, thought I had the biggest smallie I ever caught and ended up being my biggest walleye of my life. They were not drum. I was wondering why they weren't eating because for some reason drum just love to smoke whatever you throw in front of them. And I hadn't caught one the whole practice or the whole time. But then when you get out on the flats, I had a spot, I would catch a decent smallie each day, one. And there was at least 40 of them down there. I changed line size. I changed to 60-foot fluorocarbon leaders. So when I drop down, there's not an ounce of 15-pound braid or any different color but crystal clear 8-pound fluorocarbon. And I just couldn't get any more to bite. Like you need a, It was clearly a 5-pound deal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it, it may be a 5 or a 3, but, you know, it's uh, – just I tried pretty much everything that you could do, smaller baits, bigger baits, whatever you could drop down on them. And then there's a lot of fish, though, where you, you didn't have the shrimp powder. That. No, I didn't have that. When you hit them with the forward facing, they would scurry. So there is fish that are getting adapted to it that run away. But I noticed right away when I got on a flat, the fish that look like a hump on the bottom and they would glow. You're not catching them. I mean, maybe if you threw something and drug it and didn't hit them with the sonar, you needed the one where the little um blurs were just above the bottom and they were swimming the roamers you'd catch those every time so you gotta grab on to what's biting and what's happening or you're not gonna catch them and i must have still threw at at least a hundred fish that did not bite or more i mean it's not like every single fish on live scope is going to eat what you're putting in front of it so in other words it's not the end all be all but it is a great utensil it does dissect the lake a lot faster being able to see what's around what's swimming what's near um but i still mix mine with my uh hummingbird 360 because the 360 is still way more detailed once it's in a fro and i know a lot of guys are like that's history leave it alone perspective mode is the juice i've tried perspective it falls on its face on 10 feet maybe i don't know how to set it up but the 360 i was reading that in 40 feet of water still crystal clear so if you got patience and you're in an area, it will really show you what's there from sand transitions to rocks, weeds, and so forth. Then you can scan over with your live. Yeah, I didn't realize how much I was still looking at my 360 until it went out this weekend. Right. And, and since live, <laughs> because of a fuse, since live, um, I use that more. And I don't look at my 360 as much because it's not the focal point. But I can look down and say, okay. 
it's a sharp trend because like rocks just look like bumps. I mean, if you get big boulders, you can tell the difference. But with the 360, it draws a picture of what side imaging is. And yes, it's frozen, but you know, it really displays the detail in my mind. So to me, that's it's nice because for me. I was fishing a tournament where we were. I was live scoping some smallies and a few largemouth, and it was nice when the 360 was working that I had like, okay, I could see that I'm sitting on the edge of the weeds. I can see that like, here's where it turns to rocks or the transition, and then like you'd pan over where you think they'd be, and like, weird, there they are sitting right there, and then you know what I mean, like helps yeah. you like know where to point and give you confidence and. And there's also some times where like it would show some things and then you'd pan over there and you could say, like, yeah, I can see the little bumps and you know, not every fish shows up on uh front facing sonar, believe it or not. No, like they can get down no. to weeds and rocks. So like you can still be making casts with 360 uh, into structure and short stubble grass and things like that and be catching fish that you don't see on front facing for sure. The, the biggest thing that has changed fishing with forward facing is the suspended fish that are out in no man's land. That's what it's changed. You can now go out and catch them. I mean, it's done a lot more than that, but a lot of the tournaments that we fished in this year, that's what it did. I mean, you could use 2D, but it, you're not going to run across as many Champlain for that. Everybody's catching them off bait on minnows, uh -huh. jerk shads, whatever they're using. Um, but they can pinpoint those bait a hundred feet out, 150 feet out. A couple guys were running theirs at, so you're not going to do that with 2d and then you're going to sit and wait. So like less guys without it would have been more apt to fish the old school way. I know I would have, I would have went back to what I know if we didn't have it, but we have it. So, you know, if it's here, it's going to be used. If it's gone, it's going to be figured out elsewhere. Uh... How do you set 360 for semi-stained in, I'm guessing, 30 to 40 feet for clear image? I don't really, I don't know about you, I don't mess with my 360 settings as much as I mess with, like, the live scope settings. So, depend. yeah, the live scope. So I don't know, maybe you, I mean, maybe you're probably a little more. You're, you're not using your 360 as much as you used to, Rich. Um, you know, when you only had 360, you're probably changing a little more. But depending on it, I, God you really got to one, there's not an end all be all. Cause my eyes see differently than what your eyes see. So it depends on what color palette you're on. Um, you know, color palette four, I really like, but it's hard to see sometimes um, dynamic contrast. You can play with to draw more detail, but it kind of darkens everything. So then you need to go to a brighter color palette. So there's really no end all be all, but I mean, sometimes I'll have my, with the 360 my setting will be at seven and the contrast could be up to 13. It just depends. And you just got to fine tune it for whatever your eye can see. And it also depends on what lenses you're looking through. Um, sunrise silver. I tend to stick to those all the time in Costa, which is really the low light condition lens, but I use them when it's bright and bluebird skies. I can see my graphs better is the main reason why. And I can still see in the water with the other ones just like the other ones so sure. there's there's no end all be all you kind of got to adjust it but somewhere to start i mean where the default is you know bump the contrast up or bump it down and then kind of go back up but i know it's so hard for me to give an exact answer on that sure uh i was like so colby yeah it's been 13 months we're gonna we're gonna probably have like a two-month celebration here pretty soon for members uh so this is always a fun question. If you only have one, 360 or live, 
if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would have kept my 360 100%. Um, now, if it's in play, I would give up my 360 and go to live because it's going to conquer more events and it's definitely a utensil that you'd need. I'd miss my 360, but right now on this given day, now with what I know, and then you can still use perspective mode, which works great, even though more in shallow water, I would pick the live over the 360 at this point. But a year ago, I'd have picked 360. Yeah, you could probably year to year. I mean, after you had a schedule, <laughs> they may change yeah. your answer too, right? Like if you're, uh, if it was like, we're fishing uh, the Mississippi River and uh, I don't know, you know, Toledo Bend and, uh, you know, Guttersville and like, we were not going anywhere near St. Clair or anything like that. You'd be like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll go three. I mean, like you'd have to think about it. So, yeah. Um, Let's see here. Uh, I have, you know, I've heard rumblings about a live 360. Uh, I don't know that it's anywhere close. I'm sure Hummingbird's working on something that's somewhere in between. Right. That's know. the other thing, too, you bring up. If we were to band it at the highest level, what would it do for all the manufacturers with the graph companies? Would they stop producing more advanced technology because if it's cut at us eventually i feel like more tournament trials would do it because it would become the norm well why would there be any more development needed for I you guys are still going to keep buying live scope i'll promise you that oh yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it ain't going nowhere over there they love it or does it become like a tool right like talk of you where you can use it in practice but you can't use it in the tournament so somebody else we, we talked about that today we had a long conversation um so the muskie tournaments up here my father-in-law fishes in them um they had one guy and you're from the north so you know how difficult it is to catch muskie i tend to catch more on my bass lures than the muskie guys catch on their muskie lures but they caught like seven or eight towards the eagle river rylander area up north in the tournament that they fish they had five live scopes so they could just and see the musky cast to them and they like literally dominated so there was complaints there from one of the bait makers um you know saying he can't afford it other people can't afford it it's not fair so they banned it but they made it where you can use it in practice me if it was me and they banned it and allowed us to use it in practice i would eliminate it because i don't even want the mindset that i went out there and found them with that on practice I want to stick to what I can use and what I know. I don't want to get stuff twisted. To me, that's just a teaser. It either needs to be here or it needs to be gone. There's no in-between. Or there's there's three answers. Gone 100%, limited to one transducer per boat, uh, screen deal like you brought up, or, um, you know, it just stays the way it is. So, I mean, there's only three ways to really look at it. But if they're going to allow it during practice, they might as well just take it away. Yeah, I'm sure some people would have different opinions on it, but yeah. <clears throat> like Especially I said, it comes down to running them on their jack plates, pointing them off the side. They would still want them. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a couple guys that have that. So, yeah. I mean, uh, what's the, what's the fan base of your show think? What do they think? Should live uh, stay or should live? I haven't really go? asked that specifically. Uh, I'll answer this. Livescope Plus is just the newest generation of livescope transducer. Um, 
so it's just the the 34 versus the 32 it's just the newest generation uh look at colby <laughs> that's intense colby on his on his uh on his vexus that he recently got so he's got two on his shaft and one on a uh, turret so it must right. be, yeah, it must have one perspective yeah. and one, one, one perspective, on one that. forward, and then one on a turret for when he spot locks. Yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing Kobe would be all for keeping it. Yeah. So he can learn more, pay attention to what we got going on. It, like I said, it'd be interesting to see what a real pull is, you know, and what people think, especially if we can expose it. On I mean, the we have screen. the technology to do a live poll right now. So, let's see here. Do you want front-facing sonar band on the pro level, all tournaments? How do we want to word it? Well, I would say it's going to start with the pros, so everything would follow suit of what everybody pays attention Not everything, but... Uh, I, right, so down the line. And what I mean by that is if it's I mean, if Bassmaster did it, then all opens and nation tournaments would yes, follow. that that's that's what I was referring to. So not all the other tournaments, but pretty much the whole circuit from the bottom to the top. You know, just what would the fans want to see? Do they want to see it banned? Do they want to see nobody staring at a screen? Or would they be opposed to if we had a way to display it so you could see what we're actually looking at when we're fishing? All right. So I kept the poll simple. I said, do you want front-facing sonar banned on the pro-level bass tournaments? Yes, no. What is front-facing sonar and don't care? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did ask a different question on my community tab in which I was kind of angling more at the viewing experience. And so I asked, when watching Bass or MLF live, do you prefer to watch, and I guess, uh, number one is I watch it all, it doesn't matter. That was 50%. I prefer to watch a Sabine grinder, very little sonar tournament. That was 30%. I prefer to watch a front-facing beatdown, 100 pounds plus. That was only 7%. And then 13% said, I don't watch live fishing. So half the people said, I'll watch it, it doesn't matter what. But of the people that do watch it and care, 30% would prefer to watch an event with lower weights, with little sonar, and only seven people said they'd rather watch a beatdown, don't care if it's front-facing or sonar. So I think that is telling on what the fans enjoy watching. Uh, so basically what I'm gathering is it's a half and half. But in the poll that I just asked, is like, do you want it banned? 55, 59, let's say 60% said no, 25% say yes, and 16% don't care. Okay. So... It's not a strong saying we want it banned. I think most people just want a better experience. Right. And and that's what I said. Just like the apexes where you could see Gussie's at the classic, his hummingbird or any guys that made it in the top 10, they can just translate it. And then Bass puts it like you put me on your screen or the other stuff over there. They put it up on the screen so you can watch the bait fall. You could see structure that he's fishing or any of the guys, which Garmin, I know they can display to your phone. Um, it just depends on what gap. unit, which unit they have, but there's gotta be a way. I mean, look at the day and air we're in. We're even having this conversation. We clearly have the technology to do whatever we want. 
It's just how far will we go to deliver it? You know, and that's going to be up to Bass, the tournament directors, all the people at the whatever they're doing with the cameras and stuff like that. So the easiest yeah, way is what I'm, and and I, I I didn't see Swindle's poll. I don't know how he did the poll. Seems like the majority of his fans don't like watching it in its. And I think when people say that, I don't think they like watching it in its current state, right? Yeah. I think I think there needs to be some changes, and and I don't think we all have the answer, but it does seem like some of these northern, smally, intense, dominated front-facing stoner events, the way they are currently covered is turning off some of the fan base. Yeah. Yep. I would I would agree with that. No, Swindle's post, I actually watched his second video because he launched it. He just wanted to know what the fans want because at the end right. of the day, he spoke correct. Without fans, there really isn't anything. I mean, we still have the sport. We can do whatever. But without fans driving it, like, that's the whole thing. I grew up watching it, being a fan. And I'm pretty sure people don't just wake up and say, I'm going to fish the Bassmaster Elites and try um, oh, you did. You know, with you? never. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it simmered. No, but I always watched it on TV um, and it was always a passion. So, you know, it's it it's just adapting to the day and air. I mean, should we, you know, it'd be like, I get that it's at a sport, but everybody has cell phones. We didn't have cell phones at one point in time. I don't know how old you are, but they came along in my day and air. So I was there with nothing. Yeah. It's just progression. Um, the other thing, not just the fans, will it hurt the sport? Uh, you're fishing for fish that were never fished for before, so you're catching other ones that weren't caught as much. Not saying that they weren't ever caught, but, you know, time will tell. I mean, all of our fisheries get pressure from fishing tournaments in general. I think you should bring back the E-Rig. <laughs> that would be another controversy that you'd have to bring up and talk about. See, I think cause... you just have to limit, like, they just need to make it like the Minnesota rig, like one or two or three i get like the five and eight arm like those things had a bad look to them because you were like meat raking fish through the sides and stuff but like if you if you so, have like a one to maybe three hook rig like it's not the end all be all like i, I don't know you know if, if people are gonna right, have okay so my question multiple graphs so and sonars many... and all this stuff other anglers should have a little more tools and weaponry on their ends to be able to and I think maybe, honestly, some of the stuff that maybe like Poche does should be a little more, right? Like the stump jumpers and the bank beaters should have a little more leeway, you know? So I think that's another way to to balance things. You know what I mean? Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, Poche gets down and grinds. I mean, his style of fishing, I like I've watched his stuff and what he does. I don't have anything against it. You know what I mean? He literally, you got to think, look at the rig he's fishing in. He's got an advantage sometimes, but majority of the time, you think he had an advantage on Champlain when we had six footers? You think he has an advantage on the St. Lawrence? I mean, sure, he can stick to the river, but we know it's most likely going to be one out on the lake. And to go out there with that, I mean, he'll do it. I've talked to him before. He just rides the waves up and down doing his 40 or 50 miles per hour. So the the A-rig, how many rigs can you fish in Minnesota? Three? One. Oh, you can only have one. But that's the thing is, Eric, I don't know what is different about a one-hook Alabama rig and a multi-blade spinnerbait, but one-hook Minnesota rig is not allowed in any Bassmaster competitions. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, why can't we fish a double fluke? You know. You can in the MLFs. <laughs> can you? 
in in the lower level or the BPT? Uh, I mean, I know in the BFLs you can. Okay. Uh, you'll see here the Kevin. You say this, but the Sabine actually had probably the highest catch rates on live. Like the guys that were on them were catching a ton of fish. Like, like yeah. So the like, Sabine were they everybody... catching big fish? Were they catching a ton of like twelve and a half to fifteen inches? Yes, but they were actually catching a lot of fish on live on the Sabine. So I don't mind the grind fest. It can get. And to I you. think, to be honest, Kevin's from Minnesota. So he's from where you are. Like we are yep. blessed with catching a lot of fish oh, and yeah. we take that for granted. The Sabine is much more relatable to the majority of the anglers across the country in the summertime watching fishing than Champlain, St. Lawrence, St. Clair. Yeah. Most of the country catching eight to 15 pounds a day is very relatable. Um, up here we get really like we don't we don't feel good unless we're catching like 18 pounds a day <laughs> yeah no and, and i mean that's going to take to win usually our tournament on the madison right chain, it's usually one to two people but it's 20 pounds to 19 and a half yeah. to win. and, 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 and it's 17 like, to 15. but a lot of our lakes that we fish up here if you're not yeah. culling a lot by 9 a.m you're, you're probably not on them yeah <laughs> and that's not the same everywhere else well, I know I watched a video with Randy Blockowicz, um, and he said, I don't know why everybody hypes about going down south. He came, you know, fished the north and blah, da, 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 da. And he said, it's 70 plus fish a day where you go to a reservoir and 12 bites is phenomenal to eight bites. He's like, I don't know why everybody gets all hyped up about traveling when the north literally has some of the best fishing possible. Yeah. One thing I want to get to, just we'll we'll, we'll get back here. But my, my buddy Dave Sindrich, former guest, he is running a bait drop tonight. I just want to highlight this. So uh, let's see here. So DC Swim Baits, DCSwimBaits.com. I've showed them off before. Got this nice big boot tail. It's not a boot tail. Actually, it's a wedge tail. I want to be correct. Uh, and uh, he is, did offer, he's running, he actually, he usually has lives on Friday nights, but he did his drops, sorry, his drops on, he did his drop on Wednesday night because last time we talked about this, the baits were out and he just wanted to like do it live tonight when we were going live. And uh, so there is stuff in inventory uh, on the storefront and there's a code for Hellabass15 if you want to save 15% if you want to take advantage uh, of this. And let me drop a link to make it easy for people. While we're here, because I know some people are interested. Last time they didn't get a chance because they weren't in stock. So I'm just going to drop a quick code here, a link. You can use the code if you want to get some. Um, help yourself. And uh, the hook for that bait is the 12 watt beast hook. So they actually uh, specify this in the package, but it's the the, uh, the three quarter ounce 12 watt beast hook is actually designed for it. You can actually see that like it actually fits the bait perfect. And actually it's like the bait, the bait was built around it. This actually has a little notch in the belly <laughs> where that weight sits. So this, this is a, uh, kind of a custom design built around a hook um it actually even says it on the package 
that this is, it says, uh, a 12-out owner beast hook is required. Not highly suggested, not uh, but is required is what they say. So, um, are you a big swim bait guy? You like to throw the glides and the big swim baits? or uh... I got into it a hair. I have a few, but it hasn't been a player for me on any event. Sure. So, so speaking of that, is that something... So what do you, what do you, uh, you got some time now for the summer. You're going to be building some decks, but I assume you're also going to be out working on your craft and you'll be getting out next winter. We're from from the North. It's about to be winter and ice in a couple months. It's only August. We got, (laughs) we got two months left. Yeah. So what are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to work on new baits, techniques? Are you going to continue to hone your sonar? Like, what are you going to do in the off season? I think that was a question we had a long time ago that I, uh, so once the schedule gets released, of what course, are you I'll... doing to close the gap or put yourself in a more cut? You know, how are you going to separate yourself going into year two? Um, well, definitely hone on skills and I'll fish until it's frozen. Um, the one thing I will work on more, especially when it gets colder, is the live scope stuff. Just play around with that, get more dialed in, because if it is part of the arsenal and stays with the tour it's definitely a weapon these days um depending Mm -hmm. on the schedule like we talked about um you know uh start practicing throwing probably some different baits techniques i mean i've got a ton they tend to work with what i do just depends on the fishery but always staying sharp and fresh on the skills and even at our local lakes uh you know mendota the one you fished i was venturing out way deeper than most people fish, you know, because a lot of stuff is grass oriented. So I was trying to find the smallies schooled up, you know, before I went to the Northern swing, which I found some didn't crush them by any means way out deep, but I'm trying to do things out of the ordinary, even on our local lakes. Cause really fishing local, I can hone in on skills and stuff, but the fish, I feel like unless we end up with milfoil and grass lakes, they don't act the same as they do in the north, as they do down south. I mean, they still relate to cover and stuff like that, uh, which is what a bass is going to do. But right. definitely hone in on the deeper water skills with live scope and stuff like that, because it's just been a player. I mean, that's something that as long as it's going to be around, you have to be able to perform with, period. Yeah. So I guess, um, is it is it going to the same lakes and attacking them different or attacking them with new techniques um or is it like hey i'm gonna gonna you know instead of fishing the lakes that i've been fishing for five ten years i'm gonna go start driving a half hour hour from the house and just keep breaking down like new lakes just to like get those reps like okay i'm gonna treat this like this is a an elite series day of practice and i'm gonna try to break this lake down and i mean what kind of things are you like hey i really need to work on jerk baits or i need to work on spy baits and i'm just gonna go to the lakes i know and then force those techniques to get bites like hey what's your approach um I guess I got to thought about this, but these are great questions. (laughs) Well, well, I haven't, and they are great, but I guess the biggest thing is, is I got to get these jobs done first. So that's the other thing towards next year. Like I told you, I'm going to probably simmer down and only take word of mouth and not advertise. Like I have been to tie me up with more because running around bidding jobs endlessly while trying to fish, I'm realizing it's all or nothing next year, period. So, you know, I just. Or, you know, when the schedule comes out, do you try to get, 
a deck job in uh, in Gunnersville, and then a deck job in uh, Chattanooga, and then a deck job in uh, Charlotte, and then. <laughs> so one thing that we've looked at is moving. I mean, the winters are definitely getting old, and I pay attention to the cities and towns, which honestly, most of them that we go to, they're not anything that I'd want to move to. But we haven't been to the, not necessarily that I want to live in the densely populated, but more. Mm -hmm strong economy cities i haven't seen those while traveling because i'm paying attention to what's going around me everywhere i'm going i've talked to some people tennessee has good areas but it's just something to venture out because if this is something that i can continue to do um i'd like to be somewhere where i can continue to fish year round um because of course we have ice probably what five months i would say four or five months easily depending on the I winter mean, usually sometime I mean, for sure, December is iced. So our December, it may not fire. So December isn't fully iced for us, but the shorelines are. So you're X-Nade right there. You know what I mean? It might yeah. not be safe enough to walk on. You are guaranteed four months of solid ice. Yep. I mean, it could be five-ish Yeah. Oh, yeah. at times. Yeah. So, you know, th th there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts, but... Yeah, I mean, going to other lakes and challenging myself just around the state, places that I haven't been, I'll definitely do that. I just got. You should probably drive to Lacrosse. Lacrosse there this fall. That, considering that I've never been there, yeah, maybe I'll have. That's to, a good place. You it, should go drive around and get some reps on. <laughs> if it's if it's not on the schedule, I'll have to snatch my buddy Steve Lopez since he seems to have the juice up there. Yeah. Uh, but once that schedule's released, you know, it's you're on your own, so. Fend yeah. for yourself and not knowing many people, you know, I can bounce stuff around people, but that's the other thing too. You gotta, it's fishing. So you can only trust what you trust. You know what I mean? Everybody's not going to give it to you a hundred percent straight and you got to know that. So you just got to fend for yourself, do your research and what works for you. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. So I guess Tony says, what was your best part of your rookie season? I would say the the best part, I, I guess the best feeling was on Santee Cooper the day that I put the 24-13 because that's the biggest bag of fish that I've ever put in a tournament on the scales and then to be in fourth place and be the first time to get a camera in the boat. That would be probably my best highlight where mm -hmm. I felt at my peak, um, even though it fell off the next day because of losing the fish. But that was probably the best moment, you know, for the season um definitely uh how much like in a tournament let's say like you, two your two best tournaments this year were st Clair and st lawrence yep. uh, which i imagine you were doing some scoping how was that like are you on the trolling motor all day like hunting are you moving around with the motor what what did that look like for you as far as like on those smallmouth scoping fisheries like are you just like trolling motor on 100 on 60 hunting around, like what does that look like so during practice yes um and then like i said how i was fishing 60 feet like i caught fish out of 60 feet which is the deepest i've ever caught a smallmouth because i just haven't caught them back home like that um so catch them down and then up and i'd be up on the rock chunks scoping i'll go probably got it on eight and i'll go because there's certain areas where I was catching fish. So I'll go on eight and I'll kind of scan like this. The boat will shimmy back and forth. 
But if you get in the area and the boat's moving, I'll shut it down with the trolling motor pedal and then I'll scan all the way. I'll do a full 360 scan because even if it's behind the boat, I'll pitch behind the boat, you know, because smallmouth tend to go under the boat for the shade cover, um, depending on where you're at, especially in clear fisheries. But then when I get on a flat, I would catch one. If there's a school, I'd stay near it or else I'd just keep going. But yeah, I mean, seven to eight is what I usually keep my trolling motor at when I'm hunting. And that's pretty much what it was for the St. Lawrence and St. Clair. I mean, I had a couple key areas I could pull in, but I fished Anchor Bay, a couple deeper spots out in the middle. And then, you know, you're pretty much just running around. You're not sitting in one area scope and you're on the trolling motor looking for fresh fish or fish that are just moving. So in practice, you're on seven to eight for 12 13 hours in practice depending on the area well i'd try to side scan if i see something sure. good then i'll turn around and start looking at the area maybe make a couple casts if it you know because sometimes it's not always bass on the side scan so you need to check it out um and when you're not i didn't run across like mega loads of mega schools like maybe some guys did so onesie twosies but pretty much i tend to keep my trolling motor on seven to eight when i'm scoping in practice depending on where i'm at if i feel like it's dead water i'll bump it up to 10 just to speed through it quickly but usually seven to eight is where i run mine at and if i need to slow down i'll just let off and then scan that way because the only thing with the live scope when you're going that fast and you got it out 100 to 120 80 seems to be the best to get the full resolution with the color of the bottom and any flicker for me at least but if you let off and give a second to scan left and right and you're on eight you'll be able to see the full distance now again i run and i'm not trying to sound prone to other brands but they make a great product and i'm going to state it powerhouse lithium just because i run a 16 volt which makes our graphs way clear it's cleared my 360 up and the live scope up i'm able to see out clear as day 120 to 130 feet no problem but when i'm on the trolling motor you get a little lift up so it shades out, but as soon as you let off, it's very bright and back to resolution. So, kind of so just full, What's your full battery setup then? So, right now, because of the weight, so I'm running two X2s parallel because that's what I had before. Um, and I wanted weight because the Phoenixes run better with um, weight in the back. So I have two X2s parallel just for the cranking, uh, 100 amp hour, 16 volt. Um, and then I have a three-way Perco switch tied to the AGM crankings and then to the 16 volt. So I go and I click it over to number one, which runs my 16. So in case of an emergency that I killed the battery or something happened, um, fishing at the level you want to have reassurance, which is the benefit with powerhouse they have a system for everything that's built to keep us on the water i go to the back and then click it to two and then i'm running off the cranking battery so if you had a powerhouse lithium cranking battery and you had their three-way perco switch you're always going to have graphs um you know next year i will run their lithium they have a jump start the, one of the only batteries on the market that has a jump start uh to push the button jump start it if it's dead on your cranking and then I run 236 40 amp hours in parallel on my trolling motor, and they're both paired with running guns. So with that being said, I've been on my trolling motor heavy, heavy during tournaments, what I would say, and I can't get them babies drained below 62%. So 
a supreme product and honestly supreme customer service that's the one thing that won me over uh truthfully you know i got sponsored with the stuff worked a deal out with them when i made the elites but i did my own investigation with powerhouse and called around to other companies talked to bob first then rj bob spent an hour and a half with me on the phone rj spent 45 minutes before i even ordered and i physically paid for my batteries that were in my boat originally so it wasn't like me speaking that's the honest to god truth i'm not being mm -hmm. asking anybody i physically purchased powerhouse with my own money i made from building decks because i had tracker lithium which died on me at the red river on the third day um you know that was devastating and i didn't have a backup plan with that so i had to run and get a battery thrown in thank god somebody was there but it's just the customer service with me owning my business being in business customer service is key it's everything it builds relationships um trust and down the line and they they had it all for me in the beginning so that's cool yeah i i have the same setup for my 16 volt and having that three-way switch is is slick for sure and i just oh. actually just installed some trolling motor batteries and yeah i uh, haven't even come close to like it, knocking it's the, top the bluetooth i mean the bluetooth app their way they charge i mean just they got a backup plan for everything you know what i mean yeah. it's just they didn't create just a battery to sell you they created a system for a tournament angler period i mean and they're coming so you out lay you know, down by your bed at night and you're like oh man i didn't look at my batteries and right like i'm sure you've been there in the past right oh, like yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah like with an old right your your traditional batteries and you're just like you you want to go to sleep you don't you're tired you don't want to get out of bed and go look to make sure that you didn't flip a breaker or yep. anything like that but then is you're your like, no, I don't get up. Then you sit on. there and you can't stop thinking about it, right? And so you don't sleep. You just sit there and like you're restless, or you just like I was like the other night. I like opened my phone and I was like, oh yeah, they're charging. Yeah, no brain. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy. It's endless. Um, you know, I know there's a million people that will tell you we got the best. I like I said, I literally purchased them with my own money. Did my own research. I am pretty anal and ocd towards things like that and they definitely stood out to me i called like three other companies you know i'm not going to sit and go down the list they just pleased me the most with their customer service and everything they had to offer so nobody had a solution for a backup on a backup i mean there's tons of companies that will give you 240s or 250 amp hour trolling motors but then to have the graph battery be able to switch with the you know they they thought of it all they didn't stop just at the trolling motor batteries and now what was it just yesterday or the day before they launched their waterproof chargers for all their systems that work with their running guns to charge twice as fast now so that's a brand new product they keep innovating um you know they got some other stuff in the works that's coming too so you know time will tell they keep growing you know rj you know bob they they're on the I go mean, questionable it. choice on truck color selection but other than that they seem like they know their batteries but yeah i mean well clearly he wanted to match the lightest color in his logo that baby blue our, our grayish i mean yeah you know i will I'll, I'll keep it plain and simple so kudos to rj yeah if you guys uh, haven't already if you want to bump that like button it always helps the channel and gets more eyeballs on on our grass our great guests and and uh for their time uh so what do you most you mostly post on like instagram for people that want to follow or yeah facebook and instagram so i technically post on facebook and it transfers over to instagram okay. um, that's one thing that i need to step my game up on is posting so i'm going to try to start making more videos with tips and tricks and just 
little gadgets, and then I'm gonna get a YouTube fired up and stuff like that for next season. Don't do that. That's a pain in the back. Don't do that. <laughs> it's it's kind of the nature of the beast is the anger. Now you kind of got a lot of work. Aspects. Uh, but that people can find you, Kyle Norsetter fishing on either Facebook or Instagram. Pick your poison. Yeah, so um, at Kyle Norsetter fishing should be the one on Instagram, and then I believe it's still set up is Kyle Norsetter on Facebook. So I got to transfer okay. that one over. Sure. Uh, so still on the poll. 61% of the people do not want to see front-facing sonar banned. Yep. Yeah, and that's what I figured. So on I our mean, unofficial Hellabass polling, it's more of a coverage situation than it is a yep. against they, the technology. Yeah, they just got to find a way to display it so that way everybody that's watching can see what's going on. And then hopefully the anglers, you know, some anglers like to talk you know, paying attention to the top tens and watching everything. I go back and watch every tournament. Any tournament I'm eliminated to, if I'm driving my sorry butt home, I'm watching it because I want to know what I did wrong. And sometimes it's so simple and overlooked, you know, that like it never stops. The research never stops with me. I always want to figure all that stuff out. But some guys talk on the live coverage when they got a camera and some guys just stay silent. So if all the anglers stepped up, and kind of walked through for the fans what's going on when they were put on live. I think that it would help the industry and just everything in general for what's going with followers and fans. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. Any other questions? Oh, yeah, I guess uh, Sean chimed in. He said he was your marshal down at Okeechobee on your oh, first yeah. day. Is he, from, is he from Minnesota? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used the little language and I apologized. And he, he was like, oh, no, man. And he goes, I love that. <laughs> so it was a good time. I caught, I think it was a six-pounder at the last minute with him. Um, and it smoked the chatterbait, like, right at the mm. boat. It was, like, needing to get in and go from there now. So, yeah, that's yeah, the other thing. I, you know, not just fishing, but I've met a lot of great people, a lot of great marshals. I mean... You know, and they're just there to learn and pay attention on what we're doing. Yeah, I've I've had a, the pleasure to meet Sean a handful of times in Minnesota at, at well, fishing shows, tournaments, things like that. So uh, he seems like a nice what dude. Shocked me the most was I spoke to him about it first because then the next day I didn't have a marshal. Um, but I was shocked that marshals do travel that far. You know what I mean, like. Mm -hmm. he's from minnesota he's all the way down in florida just for that so it's like you got to try and make it the best experience that you can i think he that. went to the st lawrence this year too yeah Shot. i didn't yeah i didn't see him there but he i forget who he said he was with but yeah, pretty sure no, he said. definitely a good dude all right on oh champlain it was champlain okay I think he said he was fishing with somebody. Uh, I think with the story, he said he was fishing with somebody. I don't remember who it was, but they were within eyesight of uh, Cuyo Fujita. And he said Cuyo was just like catch, out, catching everybody like three to five to one. Well, that's what's crazy is I was in the same bay as all of them and on the same main flat. And that's why I said I have no reason to why the wheels fell off there. And I just did not catch the bigger fish. Cause I caught fish, but it just was not the amount and the numbers. Um, 
you know, uh, compared to what they were doing. But uh, that's one thing with Koya. That boy knows forward facing, and he uses all of it to his advantage. Maybe he's using all those other transducers to block your guys' transducers. <laughs> maybe he's playing. Maybe he's playing defense while you guys are yeah. playing checkers. He's playing chess with you guys on those yeah. all those beams. Well, I know when I went back and watched Murray, Zona pointed it out. Um, one thing he was doing that was really weird that nobody's really ever seen anybody do. He was backing into the docks. So he would pull up and there's a dock, but like how most people would fish the front of the dock and under the dock, he would back the rear of his boat up and be scanning on the sides of the other docks, but he's fishing outward. So the way, I mean, he's, I mean, look at what, I can't remember what place, but he was in the top 10, but Seminole, and he was throwing that lure that looked like a dice. Might have been second. Yeah, with a dice. <laughs> a dice with some legs. So just the baits and everything. And even that jack-all fluke from Champlain that he was using uh, style bait, that jerk shad, it's got like rudders and stuff to divert every which angle. And he was throwing a bigger bait than most people. Most people probably were throwing like a baby Z2 or Z-Man's, you know, the three and a half, the three inch bait. And he was throwing a five inch bait. On the big Sakamata? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Nice. We're creeping up on two hours. I don't know. Last call for questions here. I think this is a good show, Kyle. We've had, we had over a hundred most of the night. Stiff down a little bit. We're getting... People probably got to get to go work tomorrow. Um, I think this is a great show. Reminiscent of uh, last year, about this same time, we kind of we talked to Maddie after his year one. So this is kind of a a similar. I mean, you know, both had some some uh, some promising events and some uh, you know some kind of where they showed out a little bit in some events and had some events and had some tough events and and kind of good to get your perspective. And I think people will be rooting for you going into to year two. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm going to give it my all, so about all we can do. Are you just focused on the elites? Are you thinking about doing anything else? or I've, I've been tossing it. Um, you know, part of me says just go all in and fish 18 tournaments and do nine opens and nine elites, mm. but that, that could wipe me. But I also feel like I want to look at the schedule, see what's out there, because I may go pre-fish every one of them. So it's in the air. I may... You know, I looked at it as I was driving home, I think, from Lay Lake and a couple others, and a lot of the guys were just going to the next open. So I may look at the schedule and at least jump in three of them that are on the way home. Um, I think I think the other thing that – you're on a Phoenix, right? Yep. Yeah. I think the other thing would be to look at a division of the Toyotas. Yeah, no. So the benefit with them – is you get a championship if you qualify in the top twenty-five. Right. So they like. So, so you're if you if you you win one or you get a top five and you get the Phoenix bonus, it's a pretty darn good payday. Yeah. Uh, well, the Phoenix and I bonus, think the MLS, the Toyotas actually have the best payouts of like percentage-wise of. Yeah. <laughs> and then oh, like yeah. if you do well and you fish three or a wild card and you make the championship, then you're fishing for another quarter million dollars at the end of the year. So. Yeah. No, they and that's why I looked at both of them because it's a hundred dollars less than bass but the other thing with bass is if you win one of those you're going to the classic true you, you know what i mean so that that's one goal one is to do better because if you do better you're most likely going to be there make more cuts stay more efficient and on top of it but definitely man i want to make it to the classic like that is 
definitely a dream that needs to be fulfilled. So, sure. I feel you. I feel like I made two final days or was right there at a couple of national championships. And it's like, when you don't make it, it's like, Ooh. yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a deal breaker. I mean, and I didn't go last year. I skipped out. I figured my money was, you know, I know that they say sponsors and meet people. Well, the thing is I don't have the biggest following. I'm newer. Yes. I need to build a name, but at the same time, if I don't perform, you're not going to be here. So performance is key because if you catch them, you're going to be known. You know what I mean? Um, so I ended up going and practicing. I just ran, which the practicing I did this year, honestly, I might've had one or two spots out of all of it, but it just gave you a sense of direction, how to run on the lakes, you know, cause a couple yeah, of them, I mean, we had stump fields seen everywhere. Those lakes, it's not necessarily like, but like just getting a feel like, Hey, I, I know where the bridges are. I, I know where I saw riprap. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I got a feel for where the spawning coves are. I know where I can get ice and gas. I know where the baits, you know what I mean? Like, just like, yeah. you don't, you don't want any of that time during your official practice, not practicing, right? You want to get all that, like, basic well, Santee, stuff out of the way. Santee Cooper and Seminole, those were definitely something that you should Navigation. go Yeah, oh, dude, it's deadly. I mean, and then once the elite event started, I seen where all the guys were cutting through the islands. Now I can run at full throttle where I was idling because I was literally spooked. My motor was going to come inside. You know, because there's literally trees everywhere. And these guys are ripping by cypress trees doing 70 miles per hour in three foot of water. So it's like, okay, clearly we can go that route. But then again, are they being senseless and I'm just following suit or what? But everything was good. We didn't break anything, knock on wood. But, you know, um, and then being from the north, I did Seminole and Okeechobee because we got frozen water. So I shot down there to practice down there just to get out of the snow. Yep. Which, uh, anytime you can jump into 80 degrees when it's negative 30 up here, it's a blessing. Very cool. Well, I think we'll uh, wrap things up. If you guys came in late, you can catch the replay. We had some, I saw some questions come in late that we answered earlier in the show. Um, you know, you can catch the replays on YouTube, Facebook, or you can uh, search Hellabass on your favorite podcast app. It's great for long drives on the road across the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no matter what you're doing, but I uh, appreciate your time, Kyle. And uh, yeah, no, good luck this fall. Yep. And thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for everybody's comments and so forth and shooting for a great season next year. That's what we got to focus on right now. All right. Awesome. Well, as always, everybody here to help you guys catch more big bass and suck less. Yep. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.